David is one of the most legendary figures in all of Scripture. He lived an extraordinary life, from a boy shepherd who slayed a giant to a king who made an epic mistake. His story unfolds across the pages of Scripture. But unlike most biblical characters, we get to read his own reactions following the most defining moments of his life through songs and poetry he penned. Each one gives us a glimpse through the window into his soul. Through this window, we can learn so much about how to handle victory and defeat. Together, let's look through the window and learn from the man after God's own heart. It's awesome to be able to send out godly people as they are led to different places and areas of our community and our world to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Come on, celebrate that one more time. That's awesome. <clears throat> Amen. Hey, grab your Bibles and go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is where we're going to start off this morning. Go to, your, go to your Bibles, pull up the Vintage app, however you want to access God's Word. Welcome to part two of a series that we're calling Through the Window. Because to me, the Psalms are a, not only a window into David's soul, but when I read the Psalms of David, I feel like I'm looking through a window into my own soul. Because I can so relate to David. Of all the people, you read the Bible and you read of these people in Scripture and sometimes like you just feel like these are some comic book superheroes that you can't even relate to. Yeah. But I read the, the Psalms of David and I can just relate because there's moments when like he just feels so frustrated and depressed and anxiety and like you know and, and for a long time I think we told people of faith that if you ever have depression or anxiety then you have less faith can I ask your permission or can I ask your forgiveness from the church who's told you that lie throughout the year that years that even good faithful loving Bible believing church going Jesus passionate people can go through seasons of darkness and despair that even people, yes, that we can, and we can even have moments where anxiety and depression get the best of us, that that's, and, and it doesn't mean that we're any less faithful than anybody else. All the other people are just good at faking it, and we're not. And when I read David, like, you know, in one psalm to another, you see somebody who intimately feels close to God and feels like God's so real, and then just the next psalm, he's in despair, wondering, feeling like God is so far that he can't even feel him or touch him, almost like he doesn't even exist at all. And David helps me understand my own relationship with God because he had this beautiful relationship with God himself. And as you read through the Psalms, we looked at Psalm 23 last week, the, that familiar of all passages of Scripture, the most familiar one maybe next to John 3, 16 is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Amen. God just taught us a lot. Amen. Last week through Psalm 23, he reminded us that he does prepare a table for us and the enemies. And when we're in the most intense battle, that we can resist the instinct to pick up a weapon and fight. And we can just pull up a chair and feast on the promises and goodness of the word of God. And he will fight for us. Well, if Psalm 23 was David's favorite, and I don't know that it was. But if we could have a conversation with David and be like, all right, David. Like, of all the psalms that you wrote, which one was your favorite? I, I just think it would be Psalm 23, and, and maybe I'm taking some liberty, and if you think I shouldn't take liberty like that, you can email me at I don't care at VenniceChurch.net. <laughs> but if there was a psalm, if you ask David of all the psalms that you wrote, which one is your least favorite, I think he would say Psalm 51. Because I think if David was honest, he would... David would say, I wish I didn't ever have to write Psalm 51. 
that the experience that led to the necessity of Psalm 51, he would, he would wish he didn't have to go through. Because like all these psalms, especially Psalm 51, is written born out of an experience that, that he had. And if he could erase any experience or any season in his entire life, it would be the one that led to Psalm 51. <laughs> Anybody got parts of your story you just wish you could erase? <laughs> like if, if you could get in Doc Brown's time machine and go back to the past... And it just stop yourself from doing, like anybody got stuff in your past, stuff is a part of your story that you, like it, you would rather just not be there. Like if I could erase like, like 1994 to about 1998, we would be good to go, right? <laughs> like if I could just take that, if that was a chapter, if I could just rip those pages out as if they didn't exist, it would be better. But it's not reality, is it? Because we all have parts of our story that we wish weren't there. We wish that other people didn't know. And believe it or not, so does King David. And Psalm 51 is written on the heels of that experience. I want to read it to you. Go to Psalm 51. Pick up with verse 1. Psalm 51, verse 1. You ready? Hear the word of God. Say amen. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, bought out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge. Surely, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the very time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place and you cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me out from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will rejoice and declare your praise. Do, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Now for you to even understand all that I just read, and understand the, the, the musing of the heart of King David, you got to know the experience that led to the necessity of this. See, David sits down at some point to pen this psalm on the other side of the most difficult season of his entire life. But it was one of his own creation. I don't know if you grew up in church, so I don't know if you know the story, and, then, uh, and I won't assume anything. But, you know, we, we know of this King David even if you didn't grow up in church. And you, you, you know him more as the giant slayer. That's the story you're most familiar with, that he as a young boy shows up on the battlefield not as a warrior, but he's just there to bring his brother some Doritos. He's just taking a snack to his older brothers that are fighting for their nation. 
And when he gets there, he sees this big, huge, giant Philistine named Goliath who stands out day after day challenging the nation of Israel and nobody doing anything. And David, his little cocky self, jumps out there and says, ain't y'all going to do something about this? Y'all going to let him just come out here and disgrace us? And they're all looking at like, like, dude, you just here with Doritos. And he says, if you won't do something about it, I will. And he picks up the sling and his five stones and marches toward the giant. And, and he kills him. And this powerful story with one shot of his slingshot hits him right in the forehead. And Goliath goes down. And we all colored little pictures of David in his slingshot in kids' church. We, nobody ever colored the picture of him with Goliath's own sword cutting Goliath's head off. David with the head in his hand, like that wouldn't look good on a flannel graph back in children's church in the day. <laughs> Got a little bit too gruesome for a four-year-old. I think we should do that. I need to talk to Sananda. <laughs> Get a picture of David holding Goliath's severed head and color that. <laughs> like, we ain't never bringing our kids back to this church again. <laughs> but the boy would become a man and one day become king just as the prophet had declared. And for a while, he had a great reign, and he was, he was a man after God's own heart. And he, he was a good leader because he was a good follower. Remember, we said before, you can ever lead as a king, you have to serve as a shepherd. And, and, and he knew the importance of, the, of God continuing to be his shepherd. If God was his shepherd, then he could be their king. But then something happens to David as you get into 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it says, one day in the springtime, when all the other kings had gone off to war for some reason, and we don't even know why, David had decided to stay home. So he was home, and because all the kings had gone off to war and all the fighting men had gone off to war, more than likely, David was there all alone by himself. First mistake. How many times are we going to have to learn from Scripture that isolation is dangerous? That when we remove ourselves from the people that we need in our lives, the circle to insulate us from the temptation that the enemy is constantly throwing at us, before you know it, we're going to find ourselves on a rooftop looking at something we ain't supposed to look at. And that's where David found himself. So he's walking one day on the rooftop of his prowess because he couldn't sleep. And again, that tells me like David is home alone and not able to sleep. Like it says, there's, there's, there's warning signs happening in David's life. And you know, the check engine light usually comes on before the car breaks down. And there's some people in the room, your check engine light's been on for a really long time, and you keep acting like it's not there, eventually you're going to break down. And it says, he looks across the way, and he sees a woman named Bathsheba, naked, bathing herself. I don't know why Bathsheba ain't got no drapes. Cover yourself up, girl. Got your business all out for everybody to see. I don't know what's happening. But for whatever reason, he looks over and he sees a woman naked and bathing herself. And in that moment, David can make a choice. He can take himself back to bed, move on, and his life would have been very different. But instead, he chooses to linger. Be careful where you choose to linger. Because some of us are lingering in places that will eventually turn into something that's more debilitating than we can ever understand. There's nothing wrong with being on the roof until this moment. And some of us are lingering in places. We think there's nothing wrong with being here. Not right now. But you stay there and there will be. 
And in that moment, he, again, he makes a decision. He, he finds, he says, somehow he, he, gets, he finds out, hey, who, who is that woman? And the right person would have said, none of your business. Go back to bed. Moron. But you know what they say? That's, that's Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite's wife. Now, David would have been very familiar with Uriah because Uriah was one of David's most faithful fighting men. He was a soldier in David's army, a faithful soldier, one who never shied away, one that answered the call, one that was fighting when David should have been fighting. You always have to watch, be wary of a man that will constantly let somebody else fight his battles. And again, in that moment, he's got a choice to make. Oh, that's Uriah. Okay, number one, it ain't my wife. Number two, it's somebody's wife. Number three, it's somebody that I know and respect's wife. So you would think David, the shepherd boy, the, 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 the Lord is his shepherd. He lacks nothing. A man after God's own heart would have said, okay, I just need to go erase, 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 close my eyes, go back to bed. See, constantly God offered David off-ramps. God always offers you off-ramps when temptation comes. He will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But he makes a decision and he has her brought to him. And he has sex with her. David, our giant slayer, man after God's own heart, the sheep is his shepherd, he lacks nothing. Let's himself get caught up in a situation, gives in to temptation, sleeps with another man's wife. That's not the end of the story. It only gets worse. Because not long after that, Bathsheba comes back and says, hey, David, I am with child. And David said, huh? And again, like in this moment, okay, David, so far you, you've done everything wrong. Here's a chance for you to get it right. David, own up to what you've done. Like, be, be real about this. Like, just say, okay, like, there's no hiding this now. Like, the, like, the baby bump is on the way. Like, we're not going to be able. And here's the problem. Uriah has been off at war. That's a, like, David sleeps with another man's wife while he's fighting his battle. Man, you're feeling good about yourself right now, aren't you? But you know what he, he said? He does what we all do. Our first instinct is cover up. Isn't it? You've done it like, how many times have, have you done something wrong and your first instinct is to cover it up? I was about 12. I spilled red Kool-Aid in our living room and my aunt idea was to pull the couch off the wall about six feet thinking, don't ever know. <laughs> like it's just our first instinct is cover up. So he sends word to the battlefield and says, Look, we're going to offer uh, uh, a little furlough for Uriah. Let him come home, and he'll go be with his wife, and, 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 and he'll be with his wife, and it'll, it'll look like this is his child when the child comes because he'll remember, oh, I came home for that furlough, and, and nine months later came back and had a baby. And nobody will ever know that I did anything wrong. So he calls for Uriah, and Uriah comes home from the battlefield but just to continue, Uriah is such an honorable man, such a fierce, committed warrior. He can't stomach the thought of him going and enjoying being with his wife while his brothers are out on the battlefield. <laughs> Sounds like Uriah is more like a man after God's own heart than David, doesn't it? 
Like he just can't do it. Like he, he, just, like he just can't, like he, he doesn't even go up, like he, he doesn't even sleep in the same place with her because he just, it's just not, he can't, he's such an honorable man that he, he can't stomach being away from his soldiers thinking, all right, they're out there putting their lives on the line and I'm going to go in here and just, just me, they're not getting the chance to do this. I'm the only one, like I just cannot do with it. So you think right there, David would be like, okay, fine. Uh, you know, David's conscience has got to be like eating, I would hope, eating him up. And so David could right there say, all right, man, man to man, let me just tell you what happened. And then Uriah beats him to death. But you know what David's solution is? Alcohol. That's been some of y'all's solution for a lot of things, and it ain't a good one. He gets him drunk. No, this is not days of our lives. This is 2 Samuel chapter 11. He gets him drunk thinking like, like maybe he needs a little like, like liquid courage. Maybe he needs to just kind of let his inhibitions down. We'll just kind of get, get him drunk and everything will be fine. And then he'll go up there and like he'll stop worrying about his soldiers. And he'll, he'll, he'll kind of go do what he has to do. And it still doesn't work. And once again, David has the chance to own up to it. But when, when David can't cover it up, when he realizes like, there's, there's no way that his current plan is going to work. He sends word to Uriah's commanding officer. He says, hey, when the f- battle is at its fiercest point, take Uriah and put him on the front lines. And then when the battle gets intense, drop back to ensure that Uriah dies. And that's exactly what happens. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie. Like this same guy who penned those beautiful words that we looked at last week is now the same guy who just basically was the brains behind the murder of a man to cover up his own sin. How, how do you even get there? And now, some of people, like, we're sitting in the room, and you're thinking, like, now, I, you, why are we even talking about this? Because I would never do that. I've never done anything that bad, and I never would do anything that bad. I think you had asked David that a few years earlier. He would have said the exact same thing. Nobody ever thinks they're capable of what they end up doing. Nobody ever thinks that we're capable until we do it. And you know what? There's been many things in my life that I've said I would never do, I could never do, and there's been many moments in my life when I've said, what did I just do? You ever had one of those moments? What did I just do? What did I just say? How could I, like, if you've never had any of those moments, you're a better person than me, because I've had them. Things that I, I, I didn't think I would ever be capable of doing, but somehow, some way, found myself doing the very thing I thought I would never be able to do. We think maybe a year goes by. Because when you go into chapter 12, it's coming to the point where the baby that's conceived by Bathsheba has already been born. And David has taken Bathsheba as his wife. 
And now most people would have saw this as honorable. They didn't know that all the things that led to Bathsheba being a widow. For all they know, Uriah just kind of got what he deserved. Uriah had, had, had done all the things. I mean, he was, he was a warrior. He was in the battle. He was doing these things. That's kind of what happens when you're a warrior in the front lines. And most people would have celebrated Uriah as this, this champion warrior who gave his life for his country. And oh, how honorable David was. Because understand the culture. A widow in this, in this context would have had a hard time just surviving. A widow just to, to be able to put food on the table, much less care for this child, to keep a roof over her head, would have been next to impossible. And so most people would have looked at it like, there's good old King David, man, after God's own heart. Taking Uriah, Uriah his, his fierce warrior, taking his wife in and caring for her when, when he didn't have to. How noble. You know, we'll often do the noble hoping that it will erase the evil. There's a lot of times in our lives we've done the noble, not for the nobility itself, but in hopes that it would erase the evil. And so I imagine for a, a year, there were people that celebrated David. Oh, so good job, King David. So, so noble that you took in that widow, not knowing that it was his fault that she was in that position anyway. Until one day, a man of God comes and stands before Daniel, his name, I mean David, and his name is Nathan. Nathan, knowing full well what has happened, goes and he tells him a story that ends up, basically it's a, it's a parallel story of what David has just done. And David ends up furious that somebody could do such a thing. Until finally Nathan says, hey, this man that I'm talking about, king, it's you. And in that moment, all of the reality of what he had just done comes crashing over his spirit. And that's another reminder that sometimes you will need the outside influence and accountability of another before you can ever really come to terms with the reality of what you've just done. It's, see, it's easy to keep a secret when you seclude yourself from other people. And there's so many people in our culture, the reason why you've chosen seclusion is to protect your secret. Now, understanding your secret will be the death of you if you let it stay there. You know why a lot of people in this room don't want to go to a life group? Because you're afraid you'll be found out, not realizing that's the best thing that could ever happen to you. And finally, David comes to terms, realize, realizes what he has done, and confesses it. But here's the thing, how do you come back from that? Like, how do you, how, like, he didn't just make a mistake. Like, he just didn't, like, a man is dead. And the story even gets worse. Nathan says, because of what you've done, you deserve death, but you're not going to die. Like, under, under, under your own law, what you've done should be the death penalty. You, you, for what you've done, for what you've done, you deserve death. But you're not going to die. But the child that's been born to you, between you and Bathsheba, will surely die. And not long after that, the child indeed does get sick. And David begins to mourn and wail and pray and cry out to God and put on sackcloth and ashes and do all the ritual things that he needs to do and praise and fast and seeks God. But eventually, the child How do you come back from that? 
Because when, when I say King David in this room, very most of us remember him as, as the giant slayer, not the other things we could label him as in this moment. Not the husband killer. Killer? Killer? Like most of us, even in, in, in the New Testament, when it refers to King David, even in Acts, he's, he's continued to be known as a man after God's own heart. But how, how do you come back from that? I think David in that moment has to wrestle with that too. Like, like how do you, when you do something so devastating that, that someone is hurt and something is lost and everything is changed, how do you come back? And I think maybe there's some people in this room that maybe you're asking that question too. Like, I did something and I don't know how I'm coming back from this. Because it's one thing to talk about forgiveness, but like when you've done something to this level, the baby's dead. The baby's not coming back to life. Uriah, gone. It ain't happening. And like, how do you move forward knowing that the path forward is not going to look anything like it once would have? Anybody ever been, like, like, no matter what, the marriage is over. No matter what, she's gone. No matter what, I can never work there again. No matter, like, how do, that, how do you navigate that? And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not sure I fully know. But David found a way. Because in that moment, David, if David would allow this moment to be the defining moment of his life. So much of life would have been different for him. So much of everything would have been different. And, he, and here's the biggest question. How do, you move, how do you forgive when the one person that can't be forgiven feels like it's you? When forgiving yourself will be the most difficult obstacle. You say, well, David didn't deserve, and can you imagine, I always wonder, like, where was Uriah's brothers and sisters or other family members, and how did they look at King David? But let me just kind of unpack some things that God's been teaching me. You still with me? I know it's heavy, but it's real, isn't it? Number one is this. Concealment is more dangerous than confession. Sometimes I wonder if David didn't look back and think, I should have lied to Nathan. (laughs) I should have said, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. When he said, the man is you, David could have said, prove it, Jack. I'm the king. They can leave my word or your word. You have no evidence of anything you're saying is true. But I think David realized that concealment was more dangerous than confession because for a year, this thing had eaten him from the inside. That unconfessed sin, when you try to conceal those things, it will rot you from the inside out. I think there's a part of David that maybe was relieved because for every morning for a year, he woke up with the paranoia of, is this the day somebody finds out? Is this the day somebody figures out I'm a fraud? Is this the day that Bathsheba spills the beans to somebody that she knows? Like, when is this going to come out? And, and when concealment, concealment is, is, is so much more dangerous than confession. You think, well, you're protecting people by hiding your sin, but all you're doing is destroying you. And as long as that thing goes unconfessed, it's ruining your relationship with God. It's ruining your ability to love and be loved. Like it's it's standing in the way. It's this weight that's turning in your spirit and your soul that will keep you unhealthy. Because what you conceal can never heal. And you're walking around with a wound that's hindering you from ever being able to experience good and joy in this life. 
(laughs) Concealment is more dangerous than confession. And now confession will not be good for your reputation. But it is fantastic for your soul. Confession realizes there are going to be some people that never look at me the same again. There will be people now that would never look at David the same probably. But David knew that it was so much more. And when, when, when your sin is exposed, you can either excuse it or justify it or you can embrace it and start to move forward and find healing. And what the enemy will tell you is keep it down, keep it concealed. Don't let anybody know because it will be different from this point forward. And here's the reality. It will be different. Because another reality that we have to wrestle with is this. Eternal forgiveness does not erase earthly consequence. This one's hard, church. Come on. Eternal forgiveness does not erase earthly consequence. See, in most of our little ideal, misinformed theological world, when David said he was sorry, then the baby should live. There should be no repercussions. And that's one of the things that's hard for us to move forward is because sometimes we're forgiven and it don't feel like it. Because God has forgiven us and we are still experiencing the ramifications and repercussions of our decision. And I don't know where in scripture you ever thought that his forgiveness, his eternal forgiveness somehow erases your earthly consequence. But I can't line it up with anything in God's word. That God says, I love you. You are forgiven. You are made right with me. We're in a relationship. And good thing, because you're going to need my relationship to navigate the deep waters that are coming forward. Because I'm not going to erase all the earthly consequences that follow. And sometimes that really makes us mad. Like, no, I, I thought you said you, I was forgiven. That means I'm supposed to, like, get off. Forgiven doesn't mean you're off the hook. And, like, if you're going to move forward, you have to understand these things. You have to understand that, like, like you can't conceal it. You, you, have to, you have to own up to it. You have to ask for forgiveness. Like, you have to, you can't, God cannot forgive what you won't confess. And then it's going to be really easy to continue to wallow in shame when you're still trying to navigate the tough consequences of those choices. And don't get, don't get mad at God for making you lay down in a bed you made. That was good. I thought about that. The other thing is this total recovery comes from true repentance. Total recovery comes from true repentance. How was, how was David able to move forward from this? Because he deserved it? No. He would tell you that, and so would God. Like, he, he didn't deserve it, but he confessed it, and he truly repented of it. See, repentance is not just asking for forgiveness from God. It's asking for a restored relationship with God. See, some of us just, it's, it's, it's more about remorse than repentance. We feel sorry for what we've done. Of course we do, because we know it was bad. But God wants you to do more than just feel sorry. God wants you to change. And that godly sorrow leads to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Like just that sorrow. David didn't feel bad because he got caught. David felt bad because finally he began to realize all that he lost in relationship with God because of his actions. The The Lord was no longer his shepherd. And somewhere along the way, 
He realized that he stopped letting the Lord be his shepherd and something else was. And that night, it wasn't the Lord as his shepherd. It might have been lust, but it wasn't the Lord. Or he would have never made the decisions that he made. And, and repentance begins with ownership of what you've done. Some of us might look at and say, how can the Bible call a man like this a man after God's own heart? Because a godly man doesn't always get it right, but he always takes ownership when he gets it wrong. A godly man doesn't always get it right, but a godly man always takes ownership when he gets it wrong. And the reason why David was a man after God's own heart, not because he always got it right, but because when he got it wrong, as wrong as he got it, he took ownership for what he did wrong. It took a while, but it finally happened. And you want to you wanna move forward away from the thing that you don't want to define you? you got to own it. It can't be, well, I was taught by myself. And, I, like, like, here's the thing, and ownership isn't. This is how I hear people take ownership a lot. Yeah, I did it, but. Yeah, I know it's all me, but. If it's all you, the but got to go. Get your butt out of there, okay? Like you can't say, oh, I know it was me, but, because then all you're doing is, is trying to own it and then at the same sentence justifying it. He took ownership. This is what I've done. And, and as you see him pin this psalm, he begins to do it. And he also, you see him have an awareness. It's not just ownership of what you've done. It's awareness of who you've become. Because what you've done is a byproduct of who you've become. Somewhere along the way, David realizes, I became somebody that the Lord wasn't his shepherd anymore. Do you see? He said, I was sinful at birth. Like, th this was always in me. And the only thing that kept it at bay was the Lord as my shepherd. And when the Lord is no longer my shepherd, the, the nasty in me will eventually come out. And somewhere along the way, he stopped doing those things. And that's when we mess up too. Like, we get too comfortable in where we are. And you think, oh, it will never happen to me. I would never cheat on my spouse. I would never do those things. I would never, like, and then you start thinking because you're so secure in your position, you stop doing the spiritual disciplines that brought that security in the first place. And when you begin to neglect the things that are keeping you strong, eventually you will be weak. And find yourself in the same position that David was in. You got to take ownership of what you've done and you got to take awareness of what you've become. And then you got to allow God to start moving that thing from in front of you and put it behind you. And can I tell you, that's what I really believe is at the heart of Psalm 51. I think Psalm 51 is really on the other side of David's seeking forgiveness. Stay with me. I think that when I read this psalm, I see a man that knows he's forgiven by God, but is having an impossible time of forgiving himself. Let me read some of the verses again to you. It says, Lord, have mercy on me. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my sins. For I know my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Like, like it's, I, I, need you to, I need you to erase it, God. Because every day I get up, and it's, I, I remember it, and it's always before me, before me, before me. And so it's like I'm walking into it every single day. And what you walk into, you will walk through, and you will walk in always. And he says, it's always before me. I know my transgression. Surely I was sinful at birth. And then look at verse 8. 
It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. In other words, God, I know you've forgiven me, but I want to hear joy and gladness again because I can't find it. I can't hear joy. I can't experience gladness. I know that you've forgiven me, but for some reason, this thing is just staying right in front of me. And if it's going to ever set me free, and if I'm ever going to be able to move forward, i got to put it behind me. Restore me to the joy of salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Deliver me from the guilt. It's like he knows he's forgiven by God, but he cannot forgive himself. And that's where most of us get stuck. And again, there's some people who are like, David, you don't deserve to be forgiven. You're right. And neither do you for anything you've ever done. I know you like to think, well, I didn't do anything that bad. So if I did something that bad, I wouldn't be able to forgive myself either. But we got to stop playing this little game. you got to move forward. That there are people in this room that maybe you haven't done to the level of what David has done, but you've done something that you're convinced that you'll never move on from. And what you're going to have to begin with is confession and realizing that you're going to have to stop concealing it and stuffing it down deep. And what you're going to have to realize is you can move forward. It will be different. But you've got to stop convincing yourself just because it's different, it can't be good. It will be different. There's something, like David's life was going to be forever different. Like he's going to have, like his, the whole course of his life has changed. But it doesn't mean God can't work in it. It doesn't mean God can't redeem it. It doesn't mean God can't bring wholeness and healing and power and take the mess that you've made and turn it into something more beautiful than you thought it could be, no matter how big the mess is. And in this story, the very thing that we have the most difficulty with is the very thing that shows us why. The hardest part for any of us is the baby's death. I started studying a little bit more and reading a little bit more that Nathan would say to David, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. That, that David, your sin deserves death. But instead of you dying, your innocent child instead will die. The guilty will live, but the innocent will die. The innocent will die so that the guilty can live. That a son of, an innocent son of David would die so that the guilty King David could live. Have you ever noticed all throughout the New Testament one of the names for Jesus is the son of David. See, the innocent son of David would, was always going to have to die so that the guilty could live. And then even in the brokenness of this story, God is pointing to the very thing that would make every guilty person ever not have to die for their wrongdoing. The innocent son of David would die instead. The innocent son of David, whose name is Jesus, hung on a cross and died the death that you deserved for that terrible thing that you did so that you could be forgiven and free. Instead of wallowing shame, you get to walk in forgiveness. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I know what's going on in your spirit. But this is what the beauty of it, that thing that God has forgiven, that thing that you've confessed, that thing you've repented of, that thing you've asked God to heal and 
redeem in your life. The Bible says when we ask forgiveness and we repent, that God not only forgives us, he forgets the sin. That he buries it in the depths of the sea and it's forgotten as far as the east is from the west. This is what I want to tell you. Stop letting the enemy remind you of what God has forgotten. Stop letting the enemy remind you of what God has forgotten. Because one of, we talked about like we're in this battle where the enemy's constantly reminding us of all the things that we've done and trying to keep us from moving forward and trying to get us stuck where we are and let us to be. Like you can't deny what you've done, but you don't have to be defined by it either. No matter how grave, no matter how messy, no matter how big the mistake, the, the innocent son of David died to set you free from the biggest mistake of your life so that that, de that decision didn't have to be your entire story. So I'm asking you to fight to move forward this morning. I'm asking you to fight for, for the future that God has for you. The fight that for the thing that he wants for you, that the, the reminder, if the past the past is not the past if it's still ruining your present. And today, God is trying to set some people free, but you gotta fight for it. You gotta fight back the attacks of the enemy of what he's trying to remind you of and find healing. So God, I pray that right now in this moment that you would speak throughout this room, that you'd sweep over this place. God, thank you that we're reminded in David's story that we don't have to be remembered for our, the worst decision of our lives but it can be redeemed and restored and that you can put back what sin has broke and you can heal the broken pieces of our hearts and we can step out of shame and walk in freedom. And God, I pray that today people would find that all throughout this room. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.